Hi, everyone, and uh, thanks for uh, joining us as we wrap up a really short series, actually, this summer in the month of uh, August, where we've been focusing on some shorter books in the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. But we're looking, hopefully, at some major truths from these Minor Prophets. So over the last month, we've been a little bit in Haggai, we've been in Micah, last week Zechariah, and today uh, I want to spend some time in the book of Jonah. So to frame this message a little bit, I just want to start with uh, a bit of a story. So when I was in junior high, I'm guessing grade eight, um, I went to a hockey game uh, in our small town rink in Saskatchewan with my older brothers who drove me there. During the game, uh, one of my uh, uh, brothers, I think it was, told me that his friend, a guy who was about four years older than I was, would be going on uh, a run, shall we say, to the next town to purchase stuff that I definitely wasn't supposed to have and could not get on my own, a bit of contraband, so to speak. So I forked over some cash, I, I went back to watching the game, and I didn't think anymore about my bad decision until someone informed me that this guy uh, got busted by the cops and had all of the goods confiscated. Now. If this wasn't upsetting enough, uh, my brothers told me later that all of this was lies. This guy had, in fact, uh, not gone on a run. Uh, he had pocketed the money instead, uh, a lot of money, because I wasn't the only one to contribute, and he never made this trip. Well, now I'm really upset. So I grabbed a hockey stick in the rink, and I went outside into the parking lot, and I had a uh, moment with his truck. Uh, that was bad. Very bad. Not, not my best moment, uh, not one that I'm proud of, certainly the kind of stuff that Freedom Session was designed for. Why do I tell this story? Uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, kids, don't try this at home. I am not proud of what I did, and it is definitely something that you don't want to do. Parents, I'm sorry for bringing this up, but now might be a good time to talk to your kids about such foolishness. But the real reason why I share this story is because of how our text begins, as was already read for us. But I want to go back to Jonah 4, verse 1, where it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah was ticked, not so much with the big bully named Nineveh, but with God of all people. Why? What it, in verse 1, what injustice so exceedingly displeased Jonah that it drove him to such anger? So in order to understand that, we have to quickly summarize Jonah, but you should still read it for yourself. It's a very short book and it won't take you long. So chapter one, God commanded Jonah, one of his prophets, you could say uh, a spokesperson, just one of them, Jonah was in the north of the divided kingdom in Israel. He, he said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, this capital of Assyria, which bordered Israel to the north where he lived. And I want you to call out against this wicked city so that the people there are gonna have an opportunity to change. It's called repent and to be spared from God's wrath and destruction. So Jonah did not like this idea because he both feared and hated the Ninevites and actually believed that they might change, which he did not want. He wanted these bullies to pay. 
He wanted them destroyed. So what did he do? He ran away from God in the opposite direction of Nineveh, but God, of course, he found out you can't run, you can't hide from, you can't run away from, so God stopped him in a really very cool way. Chapter two, God, Jonah realizes that he's wrong. He desperately prays to God, and God gives him another opportunity to do the right thing. Chapter three, Jonah actually does the right thing. He obeys God reluctantly, goes to Nineveh, gives the message that God had, and these wicked people, to his great amazement and astonishment, they change. Chapter four, which is where we're at today, Jonah is not happy about this, and he blamed God. So here's Jonah, he's sitting there, sulking, upset, hoping that the Ninevites' repentance wasn't genuine, uh, still hoping that God would unleash his anger and his judgment on them and wipe them all out. In fact, he was hoping for it so much that he actually set up a little tailgate party on the east side of town with, you know, he got his drink and his, uh, his umbrella and he had full view of the action so he could witness the devastation firsthand. Pretty, pretty pitiful response, hey? Jonah's anger not over Nineveh's wickedness so much, but against God's action, which he perceived as being terribly unjust, was a pretty pitiful response. And this morning, I want to take a closer look at Jonah's response, which uh, is usually my response to a perceived injustice, if I want to be really honest. But I also want to look at God's pitiful response, a response to the Ninevites' and to Jonah, and to the people of Israel, which was marked by true pity, by grace, mercy, and compassion. And then I want to wrap it up by asking the question, what should my response be? What should our response be based on how Jonah and God both responded to this situation? Here we go. Number one, let's look at Jonah's pitiful response. His response was marked by two things. It was emotional, and it was very self-centered, and yet God still used him. But Jonah's response was first based on emotion. He operated out of a place of fear and anger and a desire for revenge. Can anyone identify? He acted out of fear, not so much the fear of God, but the fear of man. I don't like these people because of what they can and what they will do to me. You know, stay far away from evil people. They deserve to die. They deserve to be destroyed. And so this riled up a lot of anger with, within him. And the Bible has a lot to say about anger, about man's anger, and also about God's anger, which is a righteous anger. But man's anger, James says in chapter 1, verse 19, he says this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or as another translation says, uh, our anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires for us. And I get this. I don't know if any of you can identify, but anger and impatience and frustration and annoyance is a generational sin in my family that I have often needed to repent of. And what happens is when anger takes root in a person's life or has control of our lives, it leads to a bitterness and a forgiveness 
that, as uh, one wise person said, is the same as drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. Now, I don't know if you caught it when the scripture was read, but two times in our text, God rhetorically asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Two times. And the answer, obviously, is no. And if unchecked and unrighteous uh, fear and anger response will ultimately end in revenge, we want the others to pay. We want to get out the hockey stick. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul writing to Christians in, in Rome who were being badly mistreated, he urged them, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, and he will do it the right way. Thankfully, Jonah did this. He turned it over to the Lord, and he wanted the Lord, though, to pay the way he wanted them to pay. So Jonah's response was based on emotion and it was also very self-centered. It was centered, first of all, in his own comforts. I don't know if you picked up on it in the story when it was read, but here he is. First of all, he's ticked off that these Ninevites actually repented and changed, but then he's ticked off that this plant, the one that brought him comfort from the sun and the wind, the one that you know, God planted and made grow overnight miraculously, as he waited for the wrath of God to be poured out on this city, the plant that he did nothing uh, about in the first place, it, when it withered and died, he said, oh man, my cushy tail tailgate party is ruined. I got no shade now. He was concerned more with his comfort than with what God was doing with this wicked city. Rather than pity Nineveh, he pitied himself. And he actually, of all things, pitied the plant. <laughs> Read it in verse 10. He loved the comfort of that plant, but he didn't have the comfort of others in mind at all. When the plant was there, life was good. When the plant withered and the, and the scorching wind came, life was not so good, right? Who cares if Nineveh perishes? They deserve it. They deserve it. Can anyone identify with that? And so a self-based interest uh, is focused on my comfort and also what I can see. Uh, the only thing that I'm concerned about is this narrow, me first, heads down, limited view and understanding of a big picture. We don't see a big picture. Jonah had himself in mind and no other, certainly not his enemies, but not even his own people. You see, what Jonah didn't understand was that God's mercy on the Ninevites meant God's mercy on Israel, including himself, when in the future, God would use Assyria to carry out his purposes in the nation of Israel very, in a very similar way to what Pastor Jonathan talked about last week from Zechariah. You see, if God had not intervened in Nineveh, things would have looked very, very different down the road. And so we need to trust in a sovereign God that he has the big picture of all things in mind and does things for a reason that we often cannot see. You see, self-based living always seeks the pity and sympathy of others rather than extending pity and sympathy to others. I wanna say that again. Self-based living seeks the pity and sympathy of others rather than extending pity and sympathy to others who need it. 
One way this is evident in the text, three times, verses three, eight, and nine, Jonah says that he, God, I just wanna die. Just take my life. What he really wanted was sympathy. I, I, he wanted the pity of God. I don't think he really wanted to die. It was a woe is me, poor is me, whatever will I do kind of attitude. I can get that way sometimes. In fact, uh, small example, but when I'm playing cards, when I'm together with uh, my wife's family, I, uh, my, my father and I end up always in a good uh, card game. And so I'll complain, as most card players do, about the hand that they've been dealt, right? I didn't get any wild cards, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, my father-in-law, now I get it totally, he just puts one hand up and he starts going like this. The first time I saw it, I said, what are you doing? And he said, I just want to let you know that this is the world's smallest violin playing My Heart Bleeds for You. (laughs) He he doesn't put up with uh, the woe is me attitude. (laughs) Play with the hand you've been dealt and play it the best that you can. Now before we judge Jonah too harshly, uh, let's think about this, okay? You see the Ninevites... Nineveh, which was the largest city in the world at that time, who dominated absolutely and controlled everyone else, were extremely cruel oppressors. Nahum, who prophesied there about 100 years later to the same city, he said, woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. You see, Nineveh was so oppressive that King Hezekiah of Judah, that's in the southern kingdom where Isaiah was prophesying, Hezekiah was so uh, afraid of the Assyrians and of Nineveh in particular that he made alliances, costly alliances with other nations, Egypt, Babylon, because Sennacherib, king of Assyria, was so fearsome. They were into witchcraft. They were into brutal torture. They were greedy, and they were into all kinds of sexual perversion and prostitution. Just read the book of Nam. So would you react any differently? I, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I didn't, want that guy, I, I, I didn't want that guy who stole from me to receive mercy. I wanted him to pay, and I wanted him to pay dearly. What's that, God? So, so now, not only will he not get what I think he deserves and likely does deserve, but now I'm supposed to give him good news? I'm supposed to go tell him that you love him and that you're gracious and merciful and you will forgive him if he changes? Give me a break, God, no way. So we need to cut Jonah some slack, don't we? Because we're, we're human. Eugene Peterson wrote, Jonah is not a hero too high and mighty for us to identify with because he didn't do anything that great. (laughs) I love that. Nicky Gumbel said, you know, the book starts with Jonah disobeying God and ends up with him complaining about what God has done. He is a man who suffered from severe depression and yet God works within and around Jonah's weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. Amen? Uh, You know what that says? That means that there's hope for me (laughs) and that there's hope for you. After all, Jonah did, albeit very reluctantly, he did what God asked him to do, which is a lot more than many of us would have done. So my grandkids, they love the story of Jonah. Uh, In fact, we have three different kids' versions of the story at home that we regularly read to them. Uh, This one here, is uh, from Zonder Kids, and so I read this to them just last week. And, and so I had a purpose in mind, and I wanted to ask them, what, 
is your favorite part about the Jonah story? I'm reading it to them over messenger video call. And I thought, you know, being young children, they would talk about the whale and all of these cool things in the story. But no, without hesitation, my little grandson, age four and a half, Caleb, he said, Papa, the best part about Jonah is that he told the people about God. Ooh, just uh, <clears throat> brings tears to my eyes to hear a child's perspective. And so what was God's response to all of this? I want to say it was, it was pretty pitiful too. You see, pitiful has really two meanings. There's the negative side of it. Pitiful meaning miserable, woeful, poor, inadequate, even, you can even say pathetic or disturbing. But then there's the positive side to a pitiful response, and that is true pity, full of pity, compassionate, which God showed not only to Nineveh, but he showed to Jonah too a kind of pity and compassion that he longs to show to you and to me as well. God's response was marked by also two things. It was marked by grace, and it was marked by a focus on others. You know, Jonah was emotional and self-centered. God was grace-based and other-centered. One of the key verses of the whole book is Jonah chapter 4, where we're in, chap verse 2, where Jonah said, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, grace gives us the ability to show mercy, to have pity and compassion, to be slow to anger, to abound in love, and to relent from bringing disaster. You see, grace means that you, you don't get what you deserve. On the flip side of that, you could say that you get what you don't deserve. This was true for Nineveh, and it was also true for Jonah, and it's certainly true for you and for me. You see, God said in verse 11 of our text that Nineveh didn't know their right hand from their left. Those are God's words. And one author said this, that they were, the Ninevites were ignorant of the difference between right and wrong. They didn't know any better. They had no clue how much they needed the Lord. So they received mercy, not disaster. They were given an opportunity based on the preaching of good news to not perish. And so mercy is the opposite of anger and revenge. It is a response based on grace that is an action which demonstrates grace. Grace, for me, is kind of like an, an attitude. It's character. Mercy is the action that goes behind it. I read a quote a couple of weeks ago that said this. The author, who's, who's not a Christian, by the way, said this. When compassion becomes unconditionally ordinary and familiar for you, you have progressed from knowledge to experience to wisdom. And I would add that you have definitely progressed to spiritual maturity. So what does mercy and compassion look like? Well, you know, God tells us in Jonah, it means that you're slow to anger. It means that you abound in steadfast love. And it means that you relent from taking revenge, from bringing disaster. And when that happens, then repentance and restoration and renewal of relationships and revival spiritually can happen. In Romans chapter two, Paul talks about this. He talks about why do you judge people and condemn others? Leave that to God. He is the righteous judge. He'll do what's right. 
And he said, don't you know that it's God's kindness and his forbearance and his patience that leads you to repentance? And when we refuse to repent, we are actually the ones who store up wrath for ourselves when we become stubborn. But God's grace, mercy, and love, they're woven throughout the entire fabric of of Jonah. His love is foundational. In fact, you could summarize these four chapters by saying this. Number chapter one, God's love will never let you go no matter how far you run from God. Chapter two, God's love can reach you no matter how far you've fallen. And that goes for Jonah and for Nineveh. Chapter three, God's love means that you get another chance. You get another chance. Jonah was given another chance and so were the wicked people of Nineveh. Chapter four, God's love extends to all of his creation, to every person, every city, and every nation on earth. You know, John 3:16 and 17, I know those are familiar verses, but we can't say them enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, there's another key verse in Jonah, and uh, so there's chapter four, verse two, and then there's also chapter two, verses eight and nine, and they say this. Those, this was Jonah's, part of Jonah's prayer. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I love that it's chapter two, verses eight and nine, because Ephesians two, eight and nine says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved by faith. And this isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's his mercy. Not as a result of anything you've done of work so that no one can boast that they have saved themselves. So God's response was grace-based, and unlike Jonah, it was completely focused on the other person, not himself. Jonah's view was so narrow, but God's view is so wide. He has the big picture kingdom view in mind, which included his overall purposes for Nineveh, and Israel, and Jonah, and you, and me. His love and his grace extend to all of us. You see, Jonah preached before Israel went into exile in Assyria. And if God in his sovereignty and his mercy had not done what he had done through Jonah to Nineveh, Israel's exile would not have been corrective. It would have been pure hell. And so... Jesus in Matthew 20, when people complained that they thought he was unfair in the way he treated people by inviting them to be part of his kingdom, he said, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Friends, God is so generous with grace and he's calling us to do the same and to receive the same. So what is my response? I've just transitioned to that, but to conclude and apply this message, I just want to ask a series of questions because these are hard questions because these are questions that I had to ask myself as I prepared for this message 
that really convicted me, and I think that they will apply to all of us. Some of them are going to appear on the screen after the service, but here's the questions as we close. Am I willing, even in my reluctance, to still bring the gospel message to those who do not know Jesus? What do I tend to do? Where do I tend to run to to avoid God's call on my life to be his ambassador, his messenger? What hesitancies or excuses do I have for telling people about Jesus? Will I actively overcome evil with good by not seeking revenge on my enemies, but instead to treat them with true pity and compassion? Am I generous with grace? Do I believe that I need the grace and mercy of God as much as the next person does? Or do I believe that I am somehow better than them? Do I secretly wish for the downfall and destruction of those who oppose God? Or does mercy, not judgment, mark my life and my attitudes? Do I have an awareness of just how much those around me need the Lord, that they may have no clue of how much danger they're in unless I tell them? Do I consider others more significant than myself, looking to their interests rather than my comfort? Am I concerned more with how I'm doing, with my contentment, my comfort, than I am over the sinful condition of my friends, my family, and my neighbors who do not know about the saving grace and mercy of Jesus? Some questions to ponder as we move into this week. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you are rich in mercy and grace and you are so compassionate. You're so full of pity in the true and positive sense of the word. Thank you that you extend to us what we don't deserve. All of us, Lord, deserve wrath and destruction because of our sin and rebellion, but you extend an opportunity to change and repent and be forgiven. And I thank you, Lord, that, that's, that I've received that and I receive it again today, Lord. And I pray for anyone listening today and watching who has not received this mercy and grace that they would open their heart to you. Acknowledge what you've done for them, God, by sending Jesus to this world to live a sinless life and to give his life as an offering and sacrifice on the cross, to die and shed his blood, that we all might be forgiven and be filled with grace and mercy, that we might have a hopeful, eternal security with you. So God, would you give us this joy, and I just thank you for your word. Thank you how you used Jonah, even as you use me, despite our failings and weaknesses. Lord, you're so good. And I commit us to you, Lord, and I commit this week to you. May we honor and glorify you in all we do. For we pray it in your name. Amen.